0: Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. I tell you, they are something just unbelievable, just unbelievable. Revelation 6, but we're in the book of Revelation tonight. Our series on the book of Revelation, we started with the seven seals last week, and so we'll continue with, uh, if you'll allow me to read the same passage that I read last week, we'll delve into this and see if we can't get through chapter six here this evening. And John says, And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard as it were the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him and he went forth conquering to conquer and we covered that last week verse number 3 and when he had opened the second seal I heard the second beast say come and see there went out another horse that was red and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth that they should kill one another and there was given unto him a great sword when he had opened the third seal I heard the third beast say come and see and I beheld and lo a black horse and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say a measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine and when he had opened the fourth seal I heard the voice of the fourth beast say come and see and I looked and behold a pale horse and his name that sat on him was death and hell followed with him and power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with the beast of the earth earth. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer one more time. Jesus I come to you God I'm grateful for an opportunity to be in your house grateful Lord to be able to teach Lord from your word God this inspired living word of God that's quick powerful sharper than a two edged sword dividing asunder the soul from the spirit and the bone from the morrow God I'm grateful tonight for that God grant us enlightenment grant us understanding God as we look at this word God let our lives Lord Jesus be influenced and pressed by it in Jesus name that I pray amen and amen everybody say amen Amen. You may be seated this evening. If you ever wonder why I say, everybody say amen, I've picked it up because whenever I listen to Brother Sizemore, I grew up under a lot of his preaching before we ever moved this church. You'll notice whenever he gets done praying, he says, everybody say amen. That's where it comes from. So you are influenced by whoever is your leader. So somewhere around here, someone probably grow up someday and they'll just do exactly what I have done. And uh, it will blame it on Brother Sizemore all right <laughs> amen revelation six. Let, last week we entertained the idea just for, just to kind of run real through what we entertained we entertained the idea of whether or not and we didn't come to a conclusion we just kind of set it forth for something our minds to think upon the idea about whether or not the seven seals the seven trumpets and the seven vials whether they happen in succession or whether they all uh, are telling the same story some that have a little more detail than others or less detail than the others we also address the very first seal uh, here in chapter number 6 and we determine it to be uh, this horse and rider a a representation of a force or a might of peace uh, which would come upon the earth which we understand we know who's who's going to be uh, a major key player in bringing peace, that component of peace in the last uh, days, and we know that to be the Antichrist. And so we kind of looked at that a little bit, looked at the, the the one coming in on the white horse and comparing that with Revelations 19 of Christ who's riding in on his white horse, and kind of did a little comparison and contrast between uh, each other to to come to a... A understanding but tonight I would like to look at verses 3 and 4 uh, the second seal that is being broken that John seen that was broken by the second beast and that same hearkening or beckoning came forth of come and see and the Bible says that there came forth a horse and there came forth here a rider and the horse was Read, the scripture says and in speaking of the rider that's upon this horse the horse and this rider uh, it speaks of a few things right there in these two verses number one there was power and here is the terminology phrase again was given it's not something that they had of their own it was something that was distributed to them but there was power given to the rider and it says to the power was given for this purpose to take peace from the earth And so we know evidently there had been peace on the earth in order for there to be peace had been taken from the earth. And so there was power given to take peace from the earth and it goes on to uh, further qualify uh, all of this and says that basically people in this time frame will kill one another. And it speaks that the writer was given, again something that was distributed to them, was given a great sword. And so when we look at this writer and we see there, there's, there's power to given to him to take away peace that people are killing one another and that there is a, a great sword as it were involved just straight from the hip when you talk about there being peace eliminated and there's killing that's happening, there's something that starts to enter our minds that perhaps this horse and rider may be triumphing with a power or with a force or with a might that we would consider to be war, war, that there could be war taking place. And and uh, one reason why we may know it to be war is because peace is taken from the earth. And there's nothing that takes peace from the earth any better than war. I think that's, that's pretty well uh, self-explanatory. But there's men slaying each other. There's a great go- sword that is given unto you. Not a great gourd. <laughs> you might be able to do some damage with a bad gourd. I don't know. But a great sword sword was given unto him the words that are translated in our English Bibles great sword it is the words that are used in the Greek for a soldier sword it's just not any, any sword but a soldier sword particularly the sword that a soldier would carry into battle so that kind of further classifies this great sword and makes us tend to think that this is talking about a time and an era of war that's coming because there's given to this person a soldier sword, more importantly a sword that a soldier would take into battle. It's also used for the descriptions throughout Scripture when it speaks of a smaller sword, whenever you're talking about a dagger, which they say oftentimes a dagger or a smaller sword was used by assassins. It was an assassin's weapon. So again, for the use of killing, for the use of taking life. So this is definitely a time of warfare. And there's another reason why we may view that this second horse and rider may be a representative of war. And that is, did anybody happen to read Matthew 24? I gave you homework. Did anybody happen to read Matthew chapter 24, the Olivet Discourse? Uh, You can find it in Matthew 24, the Harmony of the Gospels. You can find it in Mark 13, and you can also find it in Luke chapter 21. But it's very telling if you read that in conjunction with Revelation chapter number 6. Again... And and you might just want to flip open your Bibles to Matthew 24. I'm not going to have it up here on the screen because I'm not going to dig in with both feet up to my hip and my head in it, okay? I'm just kind of touching it a little bit. But but Matthew 24, the disciples have basically approached the Master. They've asked Him in verse number 3 primarily three uh, questions, as it were, one just strung in connection with the next. And they asked Him there on the Mount of Olives. They said, When shall these things be? they're talking about the end of time the, 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 the events of everything coming to culmination when shall these things be is one thing they ask they ask what shall be the sign of thy coming and they also basically ask then uh, what shall be the sign of the end of the world so these are the three questions that they pose to Jesus and Jesus then follows it up with several verses following that and what he is doing in essence is giving them answers to those three different questions all right, And so whenever we come to verse number 5, as Jesus is speaking to them, he tells them, he says, there's going to be many shall come in my name, Christ tells them. Many's going to come in my name and they're going to say that I am Christ. They're coming in my name, they're saying I am Christ. And he basically lets them know that these are false Christs. Uh, these are false Christs. Uh, they are there to deceive you. And we have seen over even in the time that we live in. There's different people that rose and said, I'm Christ. Uh, History marks several occasions where there's been people that have said just that and uh, nothing materialized and they ended up not being Christ, uh, so on and so forth. But if you look at that in comparison with the first horse that comes out in Revelation 6, the Antichrist isn't going to be any different than another person coming out stating that he is Christ, that he's the one that has the answer he's the one that can bring world peace to the israelites and to uh israel the nation of israel in general and so you see then a little bit of a parallel he says you want to know about uh what are the signs of my coming what are the signs of the in the world what what what, when shall these things be he said they're going to come people forth saying they are christ and particularly there is one in particular and that is the one that comes forth and confirms the covenant and he is The false Christ of all false Christ. right, the Antichrist. In verse number 6 though, you read that he explains to them, he said, you will hear wars and rumors of war. If we go with just the seal we just spoke about, being this ushering in of a time of war, Jesus is telling them the Olivet Discourse. You want to know what the end? You don't want to know the signs of my end is? The signs of my coming? When shall these things be? There's going to be wars and rumors of wars paralleling with revelation chapter number six then in verse number seven he goes down a little further and he says there shall be famines we'll get to this he goes a little further in verse number seven and says there shall be pestilences verse number eight again i referred to this last week i believe was he said all these are the beginning of sorrows that word sorrows means the pains of a woman in travail. We talked about that last week. He says all of this is just the beginning of sorrows. It's the beginning like a woman that's in pain for travail. And remember what we spoke about concerning women in travail going into labor. Uh, those labor contractions, you know, they might start out a little gentle, but they get intensify, get closer together, get more rigorous as it gets closer to something being delivered. And so what starts out very, very peaceful. and The Antichrist coming in with his time of peace, very peaceful, very innocent. As time goes on, the sorrow is going to become more intense, more rigorous, because something's about ready to take birth. Something's going to take place. And whenever it's all said and done, what's going to take place is the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ whenever he sets up his kingdom here upon this earth. So we'll see through a period of time that whenever this all begins to happen, it will just start maybe at a certain stage, but it will get more traumatic. It will become more escalating in pain, if I could say it like this. The events will become more rapid. It might be like a slow race getting started, but honey, as this thing goes through that last week, called the tribulation and particularly the last three and a half years, the great tribulation, things are going to start popping up and happening quick, 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 fast, 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 rapid, more severe, more severe, more heart-wrenching than the events that preceded it. And so this is going to happen. Verse number 9, he says and this will be an outline basically for us the rest of, of Revelation 6 and I'm showing you now so you'll realize it when we continue in Revelation 6 here in verse 9 he says you'll deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you there'll be some they'll deliver you up to be afflicted and they will ultimately kill you there are earthquakes in diverse places in verse 15 he speaks about the abomination of desolation spoken of Daniel the abomination of desolation spoken of Daniel that we learned of Quite some time ago is when the Antichrist will enter into the temple and declare himself to be God. He will cause to seize the sacrifices and the offerings. That will be the abomination of desolation that happens in the middle of the week, as it were, in the middle of the seven years. Verse 21, the Bible says, For then shall be great tribulation." Great tribulation after this occurrence, and that is true. Verse 29 then says, and we looked at this just barely last week, it said, after the tribulation, some things are going to happen. The sun will be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven would be shaken. So keep Matthew 24 just kind of with your hand there, We've already seen some saying that they are Christ. That kind of parallels with the first horse and rider as the Antichrist. We see already him speaking about wars in Matthew 24. What are the signs of these coming? How these things shall be? And we see paralleled in Revelation 6 the horse and the rider. They're coming to take peace from the earth. People are killing one another. All right. And they have this great sword, which is the sword of a soldier that he takes to battle. And so we see a parallel of war. So when we go to the third seal. Revelation 6, verses 5 and 6. The Bible speaks, here's John, he said, he sees this open, there's the third beast that said, come and see, and he goes, and what he sees is a black horse, the Bible says. Now, here are some of the particulars the two, these two verses render to us concerning the black horse. The Bible says that the rider on this black horse has a pair of balances in his hands. And there is a voice that comes from the midst of the throne room. In the midst of the beast, the scripture says. And this voice gives some statements and some instruction. The statements that it gives is the, a measure of wheat for a penny or three measures of barley for a penny. And the statement also then that's spoken here says, Hurt not the oil and the wine. Now, the third seal, the black horse... Whenever you consider balances, what the writer had in his hand, balances, and you look at the word balances, if you were to take your concordance that shows you everywhere that balances is mentioned in the scripture and the word of God. Balances for the most part are associated with trade, associated with commerce, associated with merchants that have goods. There's buying and selling and trading that's taken place. I present to you that what is coming on the black horse and a pair of balances in his hands, and we'll elaborate on this a little further, is an economic crisis. An economic crisis. For one thing, there's going, to, there's going to in some measure be an economic crisis because what that's going to do, it's going to set the world up then for this buying and selling idea that we find even later in the book of Revelation Buying, selling, that can only happen if you take the mark of the beast in your right hand or forehead. There is going to be some type of economic crisis that's going to take place, all right? Something that's going to happen. Uh, 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 And the way that... And if you notice the scripture, a measure of wheat for a penny, and we'll look at this a little further, in three measures, you can get three measures, though, of barley for a penny. Well, wheat is a a, a more substantial, more prize-worthy... A grain than barley is all right and so barley is cheap but even getting a measure of wheat for a penny i'll tell you right now ahead of time that's no deal okay that's no deal that's like that's like if i'd say right now hey i tell you what over here at the corner they got gas for 15 dollars in a gallon all right it's no deal <laughs> now notice the scripture the bible says it's a black horse black horse colors do have some representation in scripture I want to read to you from Lamentations chapter number 5 and verse number 9 Jeremiah is speaking to his day again Jeremiah's day was a time whenever the people were taken from Jerusalem to Babylonian captivity that's the time in which he was spoken and he wrote Lamentations just as well as the book of Jeremiah and he says we get our bread with the peril of our lives look now because of the sword of the wilderness verse 10 he says our skin was black like an oven because of the terrible famine because of the terrible famine and so jeremiah the author the book of jeremiah and lamentation their concerns are the same it concerns again the time that jerusalem is being attacked by babylon and the the Chaldeans are taking some of the people of Jerusalem away and they're plundering their city and their town and Jeremiah says we got bread, he's basically saying we got bread at the risk of our own lives because basically the sword of war, the Babylonians were plundering our land and there was war, lives were being lost the sword of war was taking place in the wilderness, so stop, wait a minute think about it, 2nd horse that came out was war jeremiah says we're having a hard time with bread right now because of the war that's in the land and folks it's typical throughout history what follows war is famine because the land has been in total disarray people have not been able to see to their animals not be able to see to their crops a lot of them destroyed agriculture totally destroyed because of times of war So after war, many times comes famine for those areas that have experienced war. And he says, so we have this bread and we have the risk of our own lives because the sword's in the wilderness. And so there's this famine that breaks loose. And notice verse number 10. He says, our skin was black because why? Of the terrible famine. This is documented that according, according to science, when a person is starving, There are certain vitamin deficiencies that take place then in their body that causes the skin that is exposed to sunlight to turn reddish and eventually nothing more but black due to a lack of food. And so we have a rider in this horse coming forth with this blackness that may very well symbolize the famine of the land due to the economic crisis that was brought on by the war that has just happened previous to all of this and so here comes this third rider and horseman a symbol, a power because that's what horses represented a symbol, a power, a force, a famine that evidently consequently results in an economic crisis from what we read in, in the two verses and continue reading absolutely uh, could, could the balances that's in the hand of the writer and this, I'm just throwing this out for food for thought could the balances that are in the hand of the writer could that somehow uh, be telling us that food would be rationed maybe it could that that whatever's going to be given is going to be weighed perhaps it could Uh, We don't need to go any further than in the Old Testament to see the scarcity of food. If you remember when Joseph was in command, remember the seven years of plenty followed by the seven years of famine. And during that seven years of famine, Joseph was a ruler there in Egypt. And so we see a scarcity of food in the Old Testament in that time period. And what happened during that time period? Listen to me now. In that time period, there were whole nations that became slaves to Egypt because once they used all the money they had to buy food and once they gave their livestock to buy food, all right, and once they gave their children to buy food, they had to give themselves to have food in their home. And so they sold all of their family members and eventually themselves and they then became a slave to the one who had the sustenance, the slaves to the ones who had the food. Folks, I, I, I believe wholeheartedly that there will come a day in the future, I don't plan on being here, but there will come a day in the future that a similar thing will happen in our modern day that because of war and as a result of that economic crisis and famine and lack of food in the land that there will be a governing body that will have control over that and you're only going to be able to get it if you have the mark of the beast to buy or sell All right, and see whenever we come to that stage that you got to have this in order to be able to get food to be able to get any sustenance Whenever you get to the place you're willing to get the mark of the beast, you have basically become a slave uh huh, to that force, that power, that governing body. Now, we'll talk about a whole lot more of the mark of the beast later in the book of Revelation. I'm just kind of touching on that right now. But they'll, they'll sell themselves in order to do this, all right? Now, the Bible says that there's a voice that comes from the midst of the four beasts making a couple of statements, lending some instruction. Again, here it is. A measure of wheat for a penny, three measures of barley for a penny. Now, everybody say a penny. Now, a penny's not a penny like we say a penny is, okay? A penny. But it was, a penny was, notably, a day's wages for a laborer at that time frame. If you remember the parable of Matthew 20, whenever a man's going out to put laborers into his vineyard, and he agrees upon them for a price for their work, whether it was at noon or later in the day. they all agreed upon a price. What was it? A penny. A penny they all agreed upon for a day's wage. Now, this thing that was called a penny was well, it copper? It's, and of course, ours ain't purely copper anymore. They got zinc on the middle, but nevertheless. Uh, the, the, the penny was a silver coin. Uh, that was actually what was called the Roman denarius and it was worth what we would call in our day it was worth about 15 cents a day's wage was 15 cents anybody want to go to work for 15 cents tomorrow amen yeah I see everybody's hands going up so a measure of wheat was sold for a penny or for 15 cents now a measure everybody say a measure a measure was considered according even to our standards a quart or if you want to call it two pints it was a quart it was enough what they considered to be a measure was enough for one meal everybody say one meal it was enough for one meal as a matter of fact they called a measure what the daily rationing of a slave was that's what a slave got he got enough food for one meal and so you look at barley though you could get three measures for the same price so if you're thinking in your head, if a measure is a meal, if I go with the barley route, I can get three meals for the same money. But let me tell you, it, the quality, it gets very, very horrid because a lot of times barley is what was fed to the animals, not necessarily human. You know, it'd be like you getting kibbles and bits out and saying, you know, if we, if we can't have the steak, we're going to have kibbles and bits at least three times a day. You're all hard tonight. I just, just lighten up a little bit less quality alright um, one of the resources I read said ordinarily from 16 to 20 listen 16 to 20 measures normally were given for a denarius or for a penny normally a person could get 16 or 20 measures for a penny but at this time frame a person's getting just one measure for a penny or at best if it's barley three measures for a a penny and if that be the case then it doesn't take a whole lot of laws of economics to figure out that this is definitely a time when the supply is probably low but the demand is still high The demand has remained unchanged, but something has happened to the supply. There has been some type of economic famine type of crisis that has caused all of this to take place. And so as a result, the same amount of money will not get you as much as it once did. Someone says, I already feel that now. You've been to the grocery store lately? The same amount of money in every aspect of life. And then this is just Paul McGee. You know, I just think too much sometimes because I think about, and I know you have to deal with inflation. Inflation happens, so on and so forth. But whenever you see this over a process of time, years ago you could get gas for just a few cents. You know, now you're paying, you know, sometimes I remember evangelizing paid over $4, you know, for a gallon of gas. And through this process of time, America's getting used to that every once in a while there's got to be increase and their money today will not get the same that it used to get. I don't know if we're being lulled to sleep. I don't know what's happening, but I think it's getting this comfortable of a day coming when it's going to maybe escalate higher than what we would even anticipate, but just think, well, this is how it's always happened. Someone listen to me right now and so there's going to be things out there for society that's still left that there's going to be an increase in the money that they had is not going to to go as far as they used to be able to go and notice the scripture he says and he informs he says hurt not the oil and the wine Now, now oil and wine were commonly used common commodities that were used now get this for preparing and cooking a meal so you got barley God help you you're a rabbit and you got some wheat maybe now but you have still maybe some need for oil and wine, even to make a proper preparation of what's going on here. But he says, don't hurt the oil and the wine. Perhaps it's a word of caution to the writer. Don't touch the oil and the wine. They, they are means for preparing the food, for preparing a meager, uh, a eager, uh, just a meager meal. Don't hurt them. Maybe they're saying, hey, maybe he's saying, I'm, I don't know. Maybe he's saying, don't raise the price on those. Because it's already high to get food to get. These people ain't going to be able to even prepare their food. So we're going to give them a little lasso. Not only that, you remember in Luke chapter number 10, remember the Good Samaritan, town, the one that fell among thieves? What was it that he used for the wounds? Anybody remember? For the wounds of the Samaritan, the Bible says he poured in oil and wine. Because common thing, oil and wine was used to treat the wounds of Those what are you saying brother again? I'm just throwing none of this is founded I can't look in the future and tell you exactly what's going on I'm just causing you to think but if war's already taking place there's a lot of wounded don't hurt the oil and the wine now there's some guys out there they're not going to survive from the war but there might be some others that will and we need that in order to help their wounds everybody with me could you imagine that it would be bad enough that there's enough people wounded that they're saying hey you know don't negate that Band-Aid over there. You know, don't negate, you know, just some simple Tylenol or ibuprofen on the shelf because we got some people here that's wounded. Seal number four, the fourth seal is broken. This is the fourth horse. The Bible says it's a pale horse, a pale horse. Yeah, there's seven. I'm not getting to number seven, sister. Amen. I know you put your fingers up because you can't see your feet right now, but that's all right now. Just had to get that one. In. Amen. Amen. <laughs> if her dad liked it I mean I'm blessed okay the pale horse speaking of the pale horse and this is found in verses number seven and verses number eight the fourth seal is broken the pale horse comes out with his rider the Bible speaks of this rider having a name the rider's name is death and there's something that follows very close behind death and that is hell now Folks, there's something you got to realize. There's like three or four different words for the word hell that's translated in our English Bibles and not all of them talk about or meaning the lake of file, hellish blah, 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 blah that you think of. This word that is uh, translated hell in our Bible right here is the word for the grave. All right? And so it, it, it seems to follow then and I'll probably touch on this again as we go on. It seems to follow that after death what follows close after? The grave right that's just what happens now look to this writer there was power given to him over the fourth part of the earth to kill with various things some of these already in route and taking place from what we read in revelation 6 for that time frame with sword with hunger with death and with the beast of the earth and so here comes in death. The grave, or hell, if you will, is not, not, not far behind. It's a natural flow. Again, after you, after you die, that you go to the grave. Brother M. L. Walls, and I quote from his book called Gina, the Lake of Fire, which is an excellent book that goes through all these different words on hell. He says, Hades is the grave, the place of the departed soul who has died without God. All right? Because for the Christian to be absent in the bodies to be present with the Lord scripture says for those that are in Christ but for those without God Hades, the grave is the place of the departed so who has died without God he says also death is the condition of the dead he said hell or Hades is the location of the dead that have died without Christ so in other words death clings the body but hell claims the soul but you know what my Bible says Christ has authority over them both amen in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18 back whenever John was seeing this uh, individual Jesus Christ and Christ comes and he's speaking he says I am he that liveth and was dead and behold I am alive forevermore and he says amen and have the keys of hell that's Hades, the grave and of death so He has authority over both of them. Now, let's talk about this for a moment. This writer was given power over one quarter. Everybody say one quarter. One quarter over the earth. Now, here's the question that I don't know the answer to, but just make us think. Is that one quarter part of the whole world or is that just one quarter part of a geographic location that a lot of this concerns concerning the Jews, the Middle East. Are we talking about a quarter part that's going to be given to death in the grave of the whole world? Because, folks, um, there's no reason not to interpret one quarter literally as a number here. Uh, And either way you're talking about, if you're talking about the whole world or you're just talking about over in the Middle East, a geographical location. Everybody say that's a lot of people. For one thing, consider this. If the rapture of the church has already taken place, there's already been a reduced number, all right? Let's say I'm just going off of, I went and looked at what the world's population today, and it constantly had the number going up and how many were being born, how many were dying, and all that going on at the same time. So I just took our approximate, Brother Mason, because there was no way I'd have to write down the date second time whenever it took to happen, and that's what it is. But the world's current population is a little over 7 billion people. Now, I know that a rapture church, if it took place, that would be reduced, but just taking that number. If we lost one quarter of the world today, we would lose 1,750,000,000 people. Now, there's a lot of war, but there's no war that's taken that. You take World War I, World War II, Vietnam, the Gulf War, and there's no war taking that. We're talking about an unprecedented war talking about war, we're talking about then people's lives being lost from famine the economic crisis, whatever's taking place, maybe not having the resources to buy, maybe not giving in to the market, we're talking about their lives being lost or maybe that not even being provided in the time that they need it provided, lives are being lost so if you're talking about the whole world, you're talking about a bunch of people, if you're just talking about the geographic location, I don't care, that's a lot of people if you were to take a quarter just of uh, North America, that would be a lot people you don't have that many people that just die in a day you hear me Matthew 24 Matthew 24 and if you'll notice again if you go back to Matthew 24 all right you'll see in the list there there was war he spoke about he spoke about famine that would come Uh uh-huh yeah he spoke he spoke about excuse me he spoke about just death in just simple terms if you will that would happen and remember the death that is being spoken of here it's that which happened by war it's that which happened or the sword it says that which happened by the sword it's that which has happened by, by famine or the lack of food and it's that which has happened by the beast of the earth but in Matthew 24 everybody say the beast of the earth in Matthew 24 the next force is listed there and the force is pestilence Amen. This horse and rider may represent a particular type of death more than another. It says he'll be able to kill with, let me go back, he'll be able to kill with the sword and hunger, but that's already taken place. The sword with the second horse, hunger with the third horse, that's already taken place, so it's like nothing new's come on the table. With death, well, you know, death is death <laughs> now, however way it comes, that's the question. But he says with the beast of the earth. Well, in Matthew 24, our list and sequence is this is that pestilence comes next so it's quite possible that the rider on the fourth horse the pale horse may be a certain type of death more than another amen again sword and hunger that's already taken place so there's nothing new on the table death is death but whenever you talk about killing with the beast of the earth now there's something that's happened here and there in life but it's not happened very prominently and that's something that we call biological warfare all right and one way to use biological warfare is by implementing it through beasts, if you will, or animals, particularly rodents. Um, for one thing, we even know today there's been a lot of pestilence and disease that's come up on people that's been communicated not by a person but by an animal. We have it happen in modern day society birds, insects, right? You didn't get it from your mom, your dad, you got it from some animal. For instance, when we talk about uh, rodents, this is just for instance, mind you. For instance, this is according to John MacArthur. He says, he says, rats, talking about a rodent, rats can carry as many as 35 diseases at once. And amazingly, if 95% of the rat population is exterminated in a given area, it will replace itself in less than a year. So you're talking about almost all the rat population gone in a certain given area but less than a year they can repopulate to be in the same number forces and be carrying 35 diseases in their body and still live for that matter whenever you look at pestilence and disease you want to go back to this concept of war you know what's taking more lives than another man in wars pestilence and disease that's the truth more than another man taking another's man life in those scenarios of war pest disease have taken more than another man so we've had war going on since horse number two what is being bred within the beast if you will of the earth and what could they convey or what could happen if a governing body decided they want to do some biological warfare because rats don't just stay out in the woods they get where you live amen all right and so there's been there's been a trio of death agents here through the Old Testament particularly in the book of Jeremiah there's always seemed to be a trio of death agents that that have been predicted by God uh, that he said he would bring his he'd bring his final judgment through this trio of death agents and they are the sword the famine and pestilence These things go together when you talk about the judgment of God. I want to run through through three scriptures in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 14 and verse number 12, and I'm reading the last part there. Jeremiah 14, verse number 12. The Bible says, but I will consume them by the sword and by the famine and by the pestilence. In Jeremiah 24 and verse 10, again, he says, and I will send the sword, the famine, and the pestilence. Jeremiah 44, 13, again he reiterates. He says, As I have punished, as I have punished Jerusalem by the sword, by the famine, by the pestilence. The sword, horse number two, red. Mm -hmm. By famine, horse number three, black, and by pestilence, horse number four, pale. (laughs) Kind of comes out of the color thing there. Pale. Someone say amen. Now consider, I want to look at something, a little comparison and contrast, and I got homework for you tonight, okay? Because I'm not touching on all this. We'd be around here forever. But let's look. God said there were some things that would happen whenever he made his covenant of peace. He said there would be some things that would happen. I think it's important to see what God said would happen when he had his covenant of peace compared to what's happening whenever the Antichrist has his pseudo-false peace covenant. And if you were to read, and I'll give this just for you to read. I'm not reading it right now. Ezekiel 34, verses 23 through 30. It won't be up there, all right? And I'm going to just run through a few things. Ezekiel 34, verses 23 through 30. If you read that, you'll find that these things are a part of God's covenant of peace with Israel. This is what he says. Ezekiel 34, Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 23 through 30. This is what God says. He said, whenever I make my covenant peace of Israel, this is what's going to happen. I am going to feed them. Well, that kind of contrasts the famine that happens after Antichrist gets his little peace covenant. He says, He will cause the evil beast to cease. On the other hand, we have with this last horse there's killing that's coming with the beast of the earth. Number three, he says there will be showers of blessings. He says the trees and the earth shall yield their fruit and increase again that's kind of contrary to the idea of economic crisis of food of there being a lack of supply All right, the famine aspect again of the Antichrist Christ says though he says they shall be safe in their land when I make my covenant peace with Israel the Antichrist we got war a man's coming forth with a great sword they're killing one they take peace from the earth the Bible says God says, whenever I bring peace upon them, they shall not be a prey to the heathen. Again, that's that's totally contrasting the war aspect of the Antichrist. He said, the beast of the land shall not devour them. Again, that contrasts this idea of death by beast or if you will, biological warfare. He says, they shall dwell safely. Again, that kind of just contrasts the idea of this whole war aspect that we see. He says, none shall make them afraid. Again, that contrasts the war aspect. So God says, man, I'm going to feed, I'm going to supply, there's going to be food for them, the trees, the fruit of the field, it's going to increase. They're going to be safe. They're not going to be afraid. The beasts of the field, he says, I'm going to devour and stamp out. And then under the antichrist's pseudo covenant of peace, you get war, you get famine, you get death by sword and famine and pestilence. Totally different. Totally different. Again, something else, If you'll look at at your own time, because I still, I I need to go. You all have been hindering me here tonight. On your own time, look at Zechariah chapter 6. Zechariah, I know some people are writing this down. Zechariah 6, verses 1 through 8. Because in Zechariah 6, verses 1 through 8, it's there that you'll read of four chariots with horses, that come between two mountains of brass. Brass in Scripture is typical of judgment. Notice, four chariots with horses that are coming through mountains of judgment. They are said to be the four spirits of heaven. And these four chariots with their horses are connected with the judgment of God. And it seems like in Scripture, if you read the book of Zechariah, that they ride at an apparent time of peace. In Revelation 6, we have four horsemen that are coming forth to execute judgment. Zechariah has four chariots that have horses coming forth, as it would seem with judgment, at a time of peace. See, back in Zechariah, we talk about double fulfillment. In Zechariah's time, it was speaking about the overthrow of Babylon and the judgment of Egypt at the time of Zechariah. But for a future fulfillment, it may be talking about the very same thing that Revelation 6 is talking about. Everything that's going to precede the coming of the Messiah, the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And interestingly, you look in Zechariah, the horses are red and black and white, and the last horse is what's termed grizzled and bay. Well, in Revelation, we have a red, black, and white horse and pale so you got to consider that going on Revelation 6 9 through 11 everybody still with me I got 50, yeah I ain't going to tell you what I got amen everybody right? so that's homework that's just something to look at we could spend time there but you spend time there okay amen God bless you <laughs> you just saved me a week in this whole study hallelujah <laughs> we'll look at that when we go study the book of Zechariah Revelation 6 9 through 11 the fifth seal everybody fifth seal The fifth seal is open. I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they crowded with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? Question. I said that because I listened to Brother Mason's uh, uh, punctuation sermon. Amen and white robes which was excellent by the way which was excellent and white robes were given unto every one of them and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled the fifth seal now I alluded to this but the fifth seal notice now there are some that are under the altar that are crying out it says the souls of them are under the altar they're crying out these are souls of them that had been slain for two primary reasons number one the word of God and the testimony that they had they were slain for God's word slain for the testimony that they had their souls are under the altar they're crying out they're asking a question how much longer is it going to be until you judge those that are on the earth maybe the ones that even killed them and the response is still a little season so he gives them white robes and it speaks about still a little season because there's others that's going to be martyred for the word of God and their testimony. That has not happened yet. Now, this altar that we speak of at number five, and whenever I speak at number five, and we talk about the seal being broken, I believe we're talking about martyrs, people that's killed for the word of God and the testimony, martyrs, people that have given their life for this, 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 this great thing right here, okay? And when it speaks of this altar, it's unknown. We don't know if this is the altar of incense, an altar of sacrifice that may be referred to here. But these martyrs are crying out from under the altar. And whenever that happens, I'm just telling you what it makes me think of when I think about martyrs crying out from under the altar, their souls, their bloods. It makes me think about an altar of sacrifice because these are people that sacrificed their lives. All right? For this gospel. And we know from Old Testament Scripture that the life of the flesh is in the blood. We know from Old Testament Scripture that the brazen altar, there was a grate inside that brazen altar and when they put that sacrifice on there, the blood drained down in the grate and if there was any blood left over, you know what they did with it? They poured it at the base of the altar. It would pool there at the bottom of the altar. Any excess would happen and that is the location from which the souls of the martyrs are crying out from under the altar. And if you'll remember... Well, how can that happen? Well, we understand in Genesis that the blood of Abel cried out. Remember? The blood of Abel cried out unto the Lord. As a matter of fact, New Testament Scripture bears in New Testament that though Abel was dead, he yet spoke. All right? So it's quite possible these martyrs, although they be dead, still souls of them speak out that maybe even their blood would cry out. Amen? Amen? And there, listen... Speaking of people that still may be martyred for his word and for his testimony, again, a lot of what the seven years have to deal with, that last seven years has to deal with the nation of Israel, the Jews in particular. It's really not meant for the church. It's really not meant for us. It's meant for the the Jewish people the nation of Jews. But it's very well possible that there's some Jews during that time of tribulation that all of a sudden will get that identifying factor that, hey, you know what? Christ was our Messiah, all right? and there'll come a defining moment for them and perhaps they'll be martyred then for the loyalty that they come to an understanding of in that moment of time of seven years, all right? So it's martyrs. Now look, Matthew 24, look, he said, you'll be killed for my name. Martyrs, martyrdom. Going on, Revelation 6:12. We're doing it, folks. I know, I might take just a little bit more time. Oh, good gravy, God Almighty, yeah. Oh, Jesus. We got kids to take to school. All right, stand with me. There's nobody that knows pastor like pastor, okay? You would not want to stay here for what I have to go through because I know by what I have about how long that pride takes. And thus, we enter into week number three of the seven seals. And that's why I didn't go to Zechariah chapter six. I'm telling you right now. But we'll stop there. I I don't want to take advantage of you good people. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.